today. I just want you to take a moment just before we start the message. I just want you to put your hand over your heart today because we are going to be talking about the heart. And I just want to pray for our hearts. Say, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the heart that you've given each person here. And Lord, I pray today, God, that you would open our hearts. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And more importantly, God, that if you see fit, you would change our hearts. Because Jesus, we just want you to have our heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the things that drives me crazy in life is losing things. I hate losing stuff. And I'm sorry, but I have to admit today that I do have a little bit of a propensity for losing things like keys, my wallet, even the TV remote. So maybe I've lost a kid. I I don't know. It might have happened. That might be a story for another day. Um, But there's one event that I would like to start off by sharing about. uh, You know, it's one thing to lose those types of items, uh, but it's another thing when you lose people, especially other people's kids. Um, This is a true story. Uh, About my third year of being a youth pastor, my wife and I had this great idea that we wanted to take a group of our teens, because we were youth pastoring at the time, down to Mexico. And so we put this plan together. We ended up with 11 teenagers and five adults, including my wife and I, and we ended up going down to Mexico for uh, a a two-week mission trip. And I'll never forget, as we were flying in on the airplane, I I remember saying to the person sitting next to me, like, what in the world are we doing? Now, I want to say this, that uh, today I don't want to recap just all of the highlights, because that's not the purpose of my story, except to say that it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. In fact, um, just a little bit of a side note here, I believe that every single person at one point in your life should do a short-term mission trip. I I think it would change your life. And so we are looking at Eastside City Church here over the next 12 months to offer at least one of those opportunities for you if you've never done that, uh, that you would be able to participate in that. So pay attention for upcoming news and information on that because I want to give you that opportunity. Now back to our regular programming here. Um, It was a wonderful experience, except for one small detail. When we arrived back in Calgary, we were missing three teens and two adults. Now, that's not a great way to uh, endure yourself to parents. Uh, I don't recommend that. And with you and the youth pastor, that is never something that you ever want to see happen in your life. So, So the question is, how did this happen? Well, When we arrived in Mexico, they were instituting a new system for arrival and departure. They had these arrival visas that they gave you a sheet of paper at that time that you filled out that you had to keep with you the whole time that you were down there. So if somebody asked for your identification, uh, your passport, you'd have to present this. And the reality was is that once you were leaving the country, you had to present that upon your departure. Well, when we got to the airport after two weeks... There were four young people in our team, four teenagers, and two adults that had lost their pieces of paper. And so we were kind of like, now what do we do? And, and of course, like everything else, if you've ever been to Mexico City, the traffic is 
crazy. It is one of the craziest experiences that I've ever had in my life. Uh, I, I would not want to drive there. I think you risk your life every time if you are driving in that type of traffic. It is just insane. And so we were there. We were a little bit, uh, you know, rushing to get in there. And we find out that some of our team members didn't have these pieces of paper. And because of uh, the newness of this and and also because of the inefficiency of the system, the way that it worked is you had to go to one end of the airport to buy the form that you needed to fill out. So you waited in line and purchased that form, and then you had to go to the other end of the airport to have it filled out and then processed. Well, by the time all of this happened, they were too late. They couldn't board the flight. And I remember making that phone call to those parents saying, you know what, I know that you're expecting this evening that when we arrive that your child is going to be at the airport. But I want you to know they're not going to be there. They are not on that flight. Uh, But rest assured, I'd made arrangements and they made sure that they were getting on the next flight. They were going to spend the night in Houston. They had a great time. It ended up working out. But it's not something that you want to happen when you're on a trip where you lose people's kids. How about this? Missing out on meeting a personal hero. I've shared this, and many of you know that my son Isaac was born with a heart defect, and when he was four days old, he had uh, surgery on it. Well, he recovered very, very quickly and was moved from Edmonton, where he was, uh, had been taken care of, to the old children's hospital here in Calgary, which was off of 17th Avenue. And he was there a few weeks after his operation. Well, it was an emotional time in our lives for my wife and I. We were really tired. We had been at the hospital for many days and nights, and we were kind of getting worn down. And so I made a decision one day. We'd been going there for almost a week here in Calgary. I said, you know what, Jan, today, uh, I'm just really tired. You know how, you know, man colds and those kinds of, I'm just really tired. I'm going to sit this one out today. I'm going to go home and rest. Now you can all go, oh, that's terrible. Bad dad. And so she wasn't really happy with me as she went to the hospital. Well, as chance would have it, that day, because it was about a week and a half before Christmas, the Calgary Flames came to the children's hospital. And I have a picture at home. I was trying to find how we could get it here today. It didn't work this time. But I have a picture of the Calgary Flames that were in my kids' room. And actually, a picture at that time was of a second-year player by the name of Jerome McGinley holding my son that I missed because I was at home resting. My wife still hasn't let me forget about that. For the past few weeks, we've been in the midst of a series titled Inside Matters. It's a series about the heart, or more specifically, your heart. How is your heart? And we know this in medical terms. If our heart is bad, it will affect our health. Bad health will contribute to a poor quality of life or even premature death. If you don't take care of your heart, you are going to have problems in your life. Now, I'm concerned about my heart. I want to make sure that I have a healthy heart because I don't want to miss out on life. Living healthy 
Uh, life means that you are, are able to enjoy freedom, like playing with your kids. And hopefully one day I want to be able to play with my grandkids when they, that happens. It means that if you have a healthy heart, you can travel, you can go places, you can do things, things that I think that are exciting. I don't want to miss big events like weddings and birthdays because I have a bad heart. So in order to do so, I must keep my heart healthy. Now, today we're not going to be talking about how do we physically have a healthy heart. We're going to talk about how do we have a healthy heart, our spiritual heart, the heart that God has put inside of us. And the question is, how do we keep our heart healthy? I want your heart to be healthy and strong so that you can experience all of the great possibilities that God has for you, that he has for you. In Proverbs, the wisest man in the world, King Solomon, made this statement. This has been our key scripture in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Solomon is writing to us to, to keep our hearts healthy. Don't let issues and problems choke your heart. So today I want to talk about a heart condition that plagues people and ruins their quality of life. You see, we've talked for the last few weeks, we talked last week about how important it is that if we have a wounded heart that we deal with, that that we don't allow our heart to stay wounded because God wants us to be healthy. We've talked about watching what goes into our heart and, and and talked about the overflow of our heart, what comes out of our heart. We've talked about guarding our heart and protecting our heart and and knowing where our heart is and and keeping our heart clean. Well, today I want to talk about something different. And this issue I want to talk about steals joy and increases depression in people's lives. It robs peace and destroys relationships. In the church, it causes people to become discouraged and disgruntled and creates discontentment and even distrust of leadership. It makes people spiritually impotent and robs individuals and even congregations from hearing the voice of God, much less seeing him move magnificently. Who here wants to see God move? Who here wants God to speak to you, to show you things in your life? Who wants to receive more of God's blessings? I think we all would say yes and amen to that. You see, it's one thing to miss your keys, to lose your keys, or to miss meeting your hero, but it's a much greater loss to miss a move of God or lose out on his blessing or provision. And here's what should be noted about this. All of it is preventable. It doesn't have to be that way. So well, then what is the culprit? What is the disease that's plaguing society and even has hurt the church? Today I want to talk about a spirit of negativity. It's a heart that is infected with criticism and mouths that are conduits of complaining. It causes people to move from job to job, relationship to relationship, and even from church to church. It's a very serious issue, as you shall see today. However, it also can be removed and corrected if one desires it to be so. My simple definition of a negative heart is a is a state of always seeing problems. It's always seeing the issues that are around you. You see, you can, you can always tell somebody that is being infected with a negative heart. Why? Because they, they just complain about everything and anything. You know, it can become so great in their life that, that that's the only thing they do. You present to them, you know what, hey, let's go to this restaurant. Well, you don't want to go to that restaurant. 
You know, the people there are not very nice. The service is terrible. The food is always cold or it's too hot. You know, they, they, they go through a big list of why it's bad. You say, well, let's go do this. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Or, or, or what I've seen even as a pastor, you're, you're, you're sharing with people, here's what you need to do to get help in your life. And for every option you give them, they have a reason why it won't work. Why? Because there's a spirit of negativity that's gripped them and it's inside of them and it's sucking the life out of them. You see, it's being consumed with what's wrong and it comes out in your speech, your attitudes, and your thoughts. I remember when I was uh, 12 years old or 13 years old, I can't remember exactly, but I had an uncle. He wasn't somebody I was really close to, but I got to see him a couple times a year and he ended up getting married. And now here's what's really cool. Uh, He got married to the secretary for the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And so one of the perks of him being around and her is that that when we would come up and visit the family up in Seattle, that sometimes they would be like, here's some tickets to the football game. You get to go for free. And I remember this one game that I got to go to. It was the Seattle Seahawks versus the Dallas Cowboys. And, And it was an interesting game. It was a good game. I I think the Cowboys ended up winning because the Seahawks weren't good at that time like they are now. But I remember my aunt saying to me, now, Todd, you know, you're going to be sitting with some very special people. The tickets I'm giving you are are with the, the players' wives and their girlfriends. Now, that was all great, except from a very young age, I've had this really bad habit. And it's this, that whenever I'm watching sports, I I somehow, something comes over me, that if things aren't going well for my team, I become very critical. I start complaining. I complain about the players, that they they don't know what they're doing. I start complaining about the the coach. I've even been known to complain about the referees, or if it's a hockey game, that somehow the ice is really bad, and I just start, it's like this thing just comes over me, and it just, ah. And it's a problem that I've had my whole life. My mom and my, my wife sometimes are like, what is wrong with you? Now, I've been working on this. I'm, I'm actually getting better. I'm getting better at it. But I wasn't better then, like I am now. And I remember it was like in the second quarter, and all of a sudden this one guy was running the ball, and he got tackled, and he fumbled it. And I was just like, ah! Oh! And I started saying stuff about him. Well... I didn't realize that his girlfriend was sitting right next to me. Now, she being from a, a, a different culture said this to me, Do, you, you didn't just say that about my baby, did you? And she proceeded for the next 10 minutes to, to, to lecture me, to help me understand that the, the, the thoughts that I was portraying were not accurate. And that I must keep my mouth quiet. And so I did. (laughs) It was a tense and uncomfortable moment for the rest of that game. In the Bible, there's a story about God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. They'd been selected by God as his people that he would manifest his nature and his glory through. They'd been slaves and Egypt for over 430 years and had been miraculously delivered and set free. Now they were on the verge of coming 
to a place of promise and blessing or the promised land. And as part of the process, they sent 12 spies from each tribe to spy out the land. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today. And it's in Numbers chapter 13 and starting in verse 25. And it says this, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it indeed is a bountiful country, a land full of flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Now, I had a kid's Bible, and in other translations talks about how they actually would carry, they had like grapes that they carried between two people on their shoulders. The clusters of grapes were so big. You know, when I get to heaven, I want one of those grapes. I'm asking, I, I want to eat one of those grapes. Thank you, Jesus. But then they began to say this, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. Now, they're just starting to get worked up. They're like, yeah, that land, God, that land that you talked about, that land that you promised us, that land is really good, but look, it's, there's some problems here. There's some things here that, man, they're not good. And it says, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And he said, let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. He had a heart. He believed what God had said. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We, we can't go up against them. They said, they are stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report among the land, among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes in to live there. You can see the story is just getting like crazy. Have you ever had somebody that exaggerates a lot? Do you have a kid that maybe exaggerates a lot? You know, I've got one. It's either the best day ever or the worst day ever. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. They were the descendants of Anak. And next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. You know, they they had a wrong image of themselves. They weren't speaking the truth. And then in Numbers 14, it says this, and the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices arose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If they, if we had only died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, and they began to just form this frenzy of just complaining. And it went from a few people until the whole camp, if you could imagine, it was just almost in a place of rioting. You know, it's, it's amazing what can happen with people. We'll talk about it in a moment, but, you know, negativity, it really can spread. I, I'm, I'm reminded about people who sometimes do things that would normally not do it. You know, if you remember in Vancouver back in the, the, the Olympics when there was the rioting, and all of a sudden they had people there that were burning up cars and smashing windows, and, and a lot of these people were, were normal people that, wouldn't no, that, that wasn't normally how they would behave. But they got caught up in it. They got caught up in the midst of it all. 
And here we have the Israelites, they're, they're losing their minds, and they're saying, this land is terrible. Why did it happen? How come that happened? Well, since the Israelites, I believe this, had been slaves for so many years, they developed a victim mentality. They saw every situation as an impossible obstacle. You see, if you are somebody that feels like you're a victim all the time, you're going to look at every thing in every situation is there's no way I can do it. It's it's impossible. I can't handle this. Well, you just need to get up. I I can't do it. It's too hard. Well, then you just need to go to the what? I can't do that either. It's too hard. It's an obstacle. They began to see that the giants were so big and powerful and they, they felt like they were grasshoppers. In fact, the, the, the Bible says that that's another translation that, that that's how they, they became in their own minds, like they were small, they're insignificant. And then they took it a step further that those who were leading them, you see, people that have a victim mentality look at everybody like they're out to get them. And so they looked at Moses and Aaron like, you brought us out here to kill us. That was your plan. Moses and Aaron like, why would we? Oh, that doesn't make any sense. So they did what they were good at. They complained. The Israelites were notorious for their ability to complain. Why? Because they were consumed with the spirit of negativity. It was a heart condition. They'd been taken out of Egypt but Egypt was still in their hearts. I believe this when it comes to complaining. The reason that complaining is such a challenging and serious thing is that complaining is really an evidence in our lives of a lack of faith. It's that you don't have faith that God can do what God says he's going to do. It's, it's faithless speaking. When you complain about situations or circumstances, when you complain about people, what you're really saying is, I, I, God, I don't believe that you did something good here, that you can make something good here. It's a manifestation that we don't trust God, that we do not trust God, or believe that God somehow does not see what's going on in our lives. <laughs> You know, I got to be honest here. I I got a little complaint I want to share because I'm talking about complaining. And I have to admit this. I've got to just, I'm going to come out and say it right now uh, that I'm a professional complainer. I'm good at it. I don't have to work at it anymore. It's just like it just flows naturally. It's so easy to see situations and, and, and challenges, and, and, and I just want to complain. And I remember that, that yesterday, I was getting ready to go on my car, and my car wouldn't start. What's going on here? Man, this is terrible. And so we sometimes approach it like, God, why have you forsaken me? My car won't start. Like somehow... God is up in heaven and he's like shocked and surprised by what's going on in your life. It's like, oh my goodness, did you see Todd down there? Ah, His car wouldn't start. Gabriel, go talk to the rest of the angels. We've got a problem. I wasn't anticipating this. And 
And we sometimes, we, we make these mountains out of molehills. And we start to look at everything as falling apart because it's negativity that begins to surround us because we're used to living in that place. And God says, I got a different place that I want you to live. I have purpose behind everything. And I don't know what all the purposes is. I don't know why my car won't start. Maybe, maybe God's just saying, I want you to be able to handle that. We're in that situation. Todd, you just, you still just praise me and you thank me and you develop patience and you learn how to trust me with every little detail of your life. Oh. Because we serve this amazing God that just loves us. He loves us. And he's not laughing at us. He's just saying, you know what? Those, it, it happens and I'm, I'm, you're going to be okay. There's bigger things. You see, it takes faith to stay positive when you do not agree with a teacher, a boss, a parent, or a pastor. It takes faith when people make decisions that you don't like. It requires courage to believe the best about your friend when they are criticizing you. Because when we complain, what we don't understand, here's the truth, that when we complain, we actually put ourselves in a place of authority above God. Like we understand the situation better than he does. Like we have a better understanding. And we think our opinion is the right opinion many times. Well, you know what? If that person would just do that, then everything would work out. You know, if my, if my teacher would just do this, we, our class would be so much better. If my boss would just ask me about how to do inventory, we'd get it done twice as fast. You know, if our pastor just listened to me about how worship should be, oh, it would be so much better. God's like, I got it all under control. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? You see, to God, right attitude is more valuable than a right opinion. We have a right attitude. Because if we don't have a right attitude, if we, if we live in a place of negativity, in Numbers chapter 14, verses 26 to 32, we, we, we see what happens here. And it says that the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked compu- community and its complaints about me? Who here knows that's not a great place? God's, God's ticked off at Israel. He's mad at them. He is now kind of saying, you know what? I've had about enough of all of their complaining. Now, I, I want you to know today, if you're like, oh my goodness, I've been struggling with this. Is God going to smoke me? No, that's not what I'm saying today. God isn't angry with you today. I don't believe that at all in my heart. I don't believe that's what he's speaking to us. But this, this people, he, he, he was kind of tired of the way that they were doing things. And it says this, yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now, tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Listen to this. You will all drop dead in the wilderness. Who wants a prophetic word like that? (laughs) Thank you, God, for that prophecy. Oh, thus saith the Lord today in the church, you're all going to drop dead. No, I I think we'd all be like, I'm I'm not going there. I don't want to be a part of that church. 
Because you complained against me, every one of you is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land that they will enjoy what you have despised. But for you, you will drop dead in this wilderness. Wow. What a terrible, terrible situation. Complaining and negativity robbed a whole generation from experiencing the promises of God that he had intended for their lives. They missed out on the provision and the blessing that God had set aside for them. And like I said, God wasn't surprised. Yes, there would be challenges. God knew about the giants. God knew about the fortified cities. God knew that there, were, there would be things that they would face. However, they forgot that God also said, I will be there for you. I will come through for you. I will take care of what you think can't be taken care of. Your job is just to trust me. Put your faith in me. You see, I believe God is even wanting to remind us today that when we look at things that seem impossible, what seems impossible to man is possible with God. And when you look at situations and you begin to make your evaluations and judgments, make sure that you really have the mind of God. Because God believes that there's hope where it seems like there isn't any hope. Maybe for some of you, you're praying for a, a child, to, to their heart to return to the Lord or a spouse. God says, continue to believe. But also don't write people off. Because you see, here's the thing where we see problems. You can write this down. God sees potential. Where we see problems, God sees Potential. So then why does God feel so strongly about complaining? What is it that bothers him about it? Well, I got a few things. First of all, complaining is contagious. It's contagious. When we begin to talk about people or we begin to talk about problems and we begin to share those things with other people, what we have to understand is that many times those things begin to spread and, and people that don't even know what they're complaining about just get involved in it. It's like the riots I talked about. I was also reminded of one of the fun things that I like about working with little kids is how quickly they form opinions and how the group will hold to the same opinion. I'm talking about like four, five, six-year-olds. It's awesome. Typically, one of them gets an idea, and then it is quickly adopted by the rest of the group. I remember one day I was with some young kids, and one of them said, Pastor Todd, your face looks funny. And all of a sudden, this kid next to them goes, yeah, Pastor Todd, your face looks so funny. And they all were laughing and talking about how funny my face was. The problem with complaining, though, is that it's easy, so easy to do and it spreads to other people. Our words and our conversations have an impact on other people. Bad reports can spread like wildfire. However, the wise person learns not to give in to that and learns how to change the course of conversation. Secondly, complaining is hard to break. Uh, like I said, it, it's easy to 
do and hard to quit doing. Why? Because we're good at it. We've done it for a long time, usually in our lives. And once you begin to develop a habit of complaining, it's so easy for it just to continue to to come into every situation where all of a sudden you're complaining about even the smallest things that have no really significance or consequence. However, it, it, it comes out of a heart. It comes out of a spirit. Complaining also breaks unity. You know, it's, people have a lot of opinions about how things should be done, why they should be done, and that's how division forms. Division is, the word die means two. It's two different visions, and it creates disunity. Did you know that in Proverbs chapter, chapter 6, verse 19, it says there's six, thing the Lord, six things that the Lord hates, one of them being those who sow discord among the brethren. Those who create disunity. Why? Because it robs people. It robs whole communities, nations from receiving and experience all that God wants to give them. But the opposite is also true in Psalms 133 that when we walk together in unity, there the blessing is commanded. Complaining kills healthy relationships. Sometimes it can be the foundation of unhealthy relationships. I've seen people that have nothing in common, never would have hung out, but all of a sudden they form an issue, a problem, and they're best buddies now. Well, that relationship lasts until that problem is over, and then that relationship ends, because the only thing that kept the relationship together was the problem. Complaining hinders our ability, if you can believe this, to receive truth, the things that God wants us to speak. One of my favorite teachers is a man by the name of John Bevere. Who here has heard of John Bevere? He's spoken in our church a few times over the years. And there's a story that he tells in actually a couple of his books about how there was a season in his life where he was uh, working as a staff pastor in a church. And all of a sudden he began to get frustrated by the way that his senior pastor was doing things. And he began to complain about him, and he began to resent him. And then he began to talk to God about the fact that he goes, you know what, when I go to church, I, th- th- even when he preaches, there's, I- I'm not receiving anything. I'm not being fed. God, he's not feeding me. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say that. I don't know if you've said that yourself. And so John Bevere was like, God, you've got to change him. You've got you to... Gotta, change him and God says no first I want to change you and he says you have a critical spirit and he goes what you need to do is you need to begin to thank God for him thank God for the position you're in thank God for the way things are and so the the, the book goes on to say that the, the that he had this moment where he just repented with, with, with the Holy Spirit brought such conviction that he repented And it says that the next Sunday when he went to church that he ended up taking three pages of notes because God was speaking so many things to him through that person. Complaining offers zero benefits in our life. You know, no matter how much you do it, it isn't going to benefit you. I I have people that have tried to convince me at times. They're like, you know what, I, I just need to vent. You know what the benefit of venting is? Uh, that you need to do more venting. Uh, It it doesn't really, I don't see it ever really relieve anything. It just creates this, it just feeds whatever is in there because you're just rehashing it. You're talking about it. And lastly, but 
not least, because this is where we're going to land the plane here today, complaining keeps churches from blessing. Actually, a few weeks ago, God was really speaking to me about some things for our church. And what he showed me was something that was troubling yet exciting at the same time. Because I want you to know with what I'm going to share, there's great hope in this here too today. What God showed me for our church that for, for so many years there's been promises of what God wants to do, words that have come over this church, things that he's going to do in people's lives, and, and yet it seems like we haven't seen things fulfilled the way that we'd like to see them fulfilled. And I was like, God, what's going on? And the Lord showed me, he goes, the, the reason, Todd, that, that it isn't happening is that there's been a spirit of negativity and criticism in this church for years. In fact, it's a giant. And it chokes off the life that people come in here. There are people that say there's just something sometimes that, that doesn't seem to be like clicking here. What, what, what is it? And, and, and at the heart of it, the Holy Spirit revealed to me. And I want you to know I've been praying for so long. And it was just like, God, thank you. He said there's a spirit of negativity and criticism. And it has robbed people of joy and a sense of fulfillment. It has kept us as people from experiencing the promises of God and entering into our promised land. You see, we can dream bigger dreams and we can have the best plans, but we will continue to be stunted unless we deal with the issue of negativity. And today is a day where I feel like by the Holy Spirit that we are going to draw a line in the sand and say things are going to be different. We are going to be different. We're going to remove criticism and cynicism and critical talk and replace it with a new language. You see, God wants to give us a new language. Well, what is that language? It's the language of thankfulness. You see, the cure is thankfulness. The cure is being thankful. And I know it might seem so trite. It might seem like it's so, oh, you know, that's so crazy, Pastor Todd. But I want you to know that it works. About a month ago, we had a prayer meeting here on a Wednesday night. And I was praying about the prayer meeting. I was praying over what we were going to do that evening. And I was asking God, I was like, okay, Lord, what, what, what do you want to do? What's, what should be our agenda for, for this night? And God said, all I want you to do is just spend time sharing what you're thankful for in your life, what you want to do. We spent the whole hour and 15 minutes just thanking God. It began to become contagious. We didn't ask God for prayer requests. We didn't do anything else. We just spent time thanking him. And what was amazing about it is as we began to move into it, people that came in stressed out, full of discouragement, full of burdens, began to see, I began to see these things lift off of their lives. And everybody that was there that night walked out with a sense of, wow, God, you are amazing. Why? Because of thank, being thankful. You see, we have to sometimes learn how to change our, new, our language. It's not easy. What does being thankful mean? It means that we speak good about people and situations. We begin to speak positive things about them. Secondly, we learn to thank people generously. 
I think we need to make a habit of saying thank you to people. Thank you to our wife. Thank you to our, our, our kids. Thank you to our bosses. Thank you to the people around us. Just letting people know that we're thankful that they're a part of our life. We need to learn how to praise God. You know, I believe this, that for some of us that have, you've been walking through maybe even in your own marriage some challenges, some difficulties as far as as your your, your relationship, and you're just like, God, what's going on here? And what God's telling me that, that will change, begin to change your marriage is that you would begin to thank God for your spouse. Begin to show them that you're thankful It'll change things. That will transform things. I I challenge you to do it for a a couple weeks. I mean, that's good marriage counseling. I'm just telling you there. I just saved you $150 for that. If you go to a counselor, it's crazy stuff now. You need to focus on the good stuff. Remember the good things God has done for you. Remember the great things that he's done in your life. Second, thirdly, you need to come to a higher view or change your perspective. Come up where God sits. See things from his perspective. And then allow God to change your heart. I say today that my desire for each and every person here is I want you to experience more of God's presence. I want you to witness more people begin a relationship with Jesus. I want you to receive more provision and blessing. And I want us, Eastside City Church, to see the promises of God fulfilled in this generation. So what now? How how do we do this? What do we need to do today? Where do we start? Where do we begin? Well, I believe that today is a day for us to repent. Repent. You start off by repenting. And it's not just saying you're sorry. It's actually saying, God, would you change my heart? And so I want everybody just in this moment just to bow your heads and ask God to show you, where's your heart? What's, where's your heart at? Maybe you're sitting here today and you realize that you've got some negative things that you've been battling with. And today God's wanting to change that. It's up to you. It's your decision. We had a prophetic word here today that said, it's our choice. It really is our choice. Maybe some of you today are like, Pastor, I've really been battling with this. Just begin to ask him in your own words. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. Help me change the way that I talk. Change the way that I think. Lord, give me a thankful heart. Oh, Father God, today I pray, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you would change each one of our hearts. Oh, Lord, I pray today that you would help us, that you would forgive us. Lord, you'd forgive us for the things that we say, that, Lord, we're we're careless with our words. God, I pray that you'd forgive us. I pray, Father, that you'd forgive those that aren't here today, that aren't even listening today, but, God, that you would take away the the. the, the stigma, Father God, of those words that have been spoken, Father. Lord, I pray that you would heal this church. 
Lord, I pray that you would do a new work in this church, Father God. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just come and you would visit us, Father God, that we would see, Father God, a greater manifestation of your presence. Lord, that we would experience you in a greater measure, Father God, not only here, but Lord, everywhere that we go. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a loss of any promises or blessing that every person would experience the full measure of your blessings, God.